Power ranks. It's a let's break it down power ranks episode. You know we love these. These are my we favorite. Get to mark them up one through twenty, and then we get to tell each other why we're wrong about it. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's why you're right and the other person is wrong. We're not both wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I looked at the rankings. We were pretty wrong. That's a relative term, okay? <laughs> I had it right before things went south. So I was was right, and then they did everything wrong. There was a time I was right until I was wrong. <laughs> I like doing these. It is pretty fun to, to think about it. It's funny. I usually, the, the top is pretty easy, and the bottom is pretty easy, but I'm stressing out hard about the middle, and there the I wish middle. I could give out multiple middle ranks. You know, right, could I give 11s, out five multiple 15s? 12s. <laughs> So this one, we are doing an initial stage two rankings, which is actually pretty difficult because a lot of things change between stage one and stage two, and we're not 100% sure how that meta is going to play out. I think GOATS is still going to be a thing, but I think we are going to start seeing some other compositions come into play. Some Marissa Bunkers. I think we're going to see a little bit of return to the 2-2-2, and I'm excited to see if we're going to get some more 4-1-1s. Yeah, so, so we're having to do a lot of forecasting is what we're having to do because we right. don't know what's coming. We know how you looked in the 3-3, three, three, so there's a little bit of combo here. It's like, okay, 3-3, three, three, you were good. How are you going to look if you're having to play a different composition? What can we expect? We saw some funky compositions from some teams, so we expect them to be a little better when the 3-3 three, three kind of not goes away but is not as prominent. And we can see some more compositions, the Arissa bunker down, like you said, the 2-2-2, potentially a f- some more 4-1-1. And we know there are some teams that like to do different things like that. So if that becomes more of the norm, we're having to forecast into that, into these initial rankings. Yeah, and going through, you're kind of, you know, in the old power rankings, you were looking at what does your tank core look like and what does your support core look like? And in this case, you have to start factoring in what are those how skilled are those DPS? Mm-hmm. So when the when the compositions do change up a little bit, and those lineups change a little bit, how do how do those team how do you think those teams are going to fare? Bringing us in at the bottom of the barrel, at number twenty, we've got your Florida Mayhem, then we've got the Washington Justice at nineteen, the Los Angeles Valiant at eighteen, the Shanghai Dragons at seventeen, and the Paris Eternal at a consensus sixteen. Dude, how do you have them at twelve? There was a time when Paris was good. <laughs> there was a time when Paris was good. I do like the flexibility uh, in soon. I know they weren't playing him at the end, and I'm not sure 100% why. I've kind of looked around for resources as to why Paris pulled soon out and was trying to play Shadowburn. It wasn't good. I don't think Shadowburn played a great Zarya. But Shadowburn is an amazing DPS. He's a great mm-hmm. dive hero, Genji player. Soon is also a good DPS player, so I think in a DPS composition or when things change towards a DPS composition, I think they're going to fare okay. So I'm putting them in at 12. We'll find out. I I lack encouragement based on how they closed out stage one. For sure. I think the other shocker to some people, I have Shanghai Dragons pretty low. Honestly, oh, I think they're just they're just kind of losing out. I, I, when I look at teams and I'm trying to figure everything out, I just I like a lot of other teams better than I like the Shanghai Dragons. But they did start proving themselves. In stage one, I have them at 18. Uh, J-Will has them at 14. I, I, I was like, oh, I really kind of want to move them up, but I don't really know who to move them up above. Isn't that the problem? Yeah, 
So that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, the middle is a struggle for me. I'm like, oh, but, you know, head to head, do I think the Chengdu hunters who took Vancouver, you know, basically to the brink are going to be the Shanghai Dragons? And I feel like, yeah, I mean, there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be able to do that. You know, that was just an example. But so your problem hard. there is you think Paris is going to beat Shanghai. I, I do think Paris could be to Shanghai. I, you know, it's, it's hard. I, you know, I'm still feeling a lot of that season one burn from Shanghai. <laughs> I keep trying to put them up there. But, I mean, it, you know, in a dive composition, in a DPS-heavy composition, they looked bad. And Gamsu is calling, a th- when he's calling a 3-3 composition, it's easy because everyone's around you. You're just picking a target and you're aligning ults predominantly. But how's Gamsu going to fare as a shot caller when it's, you know, he's trying to organize a tracer dive, uh, you know, maybe a tracer baptiste dive with main tanking with support. It'd be interesting to see how he adjusts to the shot calls. That While that's important, I'm just going to leave you with this. Trust in DM. Knocking into our next five, we've got the Atlanta Rain at a consensus 15. We've got the Chengdu Hunters at 14, Guangzhou Charge at 13, Houston Outlaws at 12, and the Boston Uprising just outside of the top 10 at number 11. Atlanta, we're sorry. We know you finished in the playoffs, but we're sorry. (laughs) (laughs) When you lose an MVP caliber DPS talent in a stage where DPS starts coming into play, you are going to lose some spots. (laughs) Yeah, we have real questions. How are you going to fill that void? Um, for me, nope. I think this is all pretty good. This is where I wanted everybody. <laughs> I got nothing. No, I mean these are. I don't think these should fair. be a huge shock to everybody. I think we probably even have the outlaws up a little higher than some people would would think. You're bringing up the Chengdu hunters, and I'm glad you are. For me, I was like, oh, I feel like I kind of want to bring those guys up as well. They certainly were. They were playing DPS before it was cool. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yeah, they were. We need more bacon jack in our life. Yeah, for sure. So, I, you know, and, and I think Wrecking Ball is going to play a, a part here. I, I mean, if you're running dive, Wrecking Ball is going to be a part of that. You know, where Winston was kind of the only one that used to be able to run into a dive as a dive tank. Now you've got Wrecking Ball. I mean, one of the best Wrecking Balls that we've seen. There hasn't been a whole lot of other Wrecking Ball play. I think there's a chance as well that, that we're going to see a pretty prolific rise in the Chengdu Hunters in my rankings. But for now... Until you start that winning process, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you suppressed a little bit. And that's very fair. That's actually one hundred percent fair. I thought I saw enough of them late in stage one to where this is justified. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But this is how I view that team. So there are college teams in both basketball, football, there are professional teams, basketball, football, that run just a very unique style of play that you don't see from other teams. There are a lot of similarities amongst other teams, even though there's just a slight difference here, a slight difference there. But there are people that run something completely off the wall. So let's take you back to the late 80s, early 90s, when Paul Westhead is the head coach at Loyola Marymount out in California. Dude's running his own system of fast break basketball, full court pressure, and it's it's something that teams just don't see very often. So when you come up against it, you're not always prepared to handle it because you don't see it. You're not prepared to play against it. You've watched it on film. You've studied it. You understand what's coming. But until you play against it, you don't know what to expect. And that's how I view this Chengdu Hunters team right now, especially after what we saw in stage one. You know what they're, you, you know what to anticipate nine times out of ten, but you don't know how to react to it because you've not actually played against it. It's just so different. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's so interesting because you, you feel like teams that should have had knowledge that Chengdu was going to run something funky should have been prepared for it, and they weren't. 
here's looking at you, Atlanta and Vancouver. Um, I mean, you knew they were coming out in this. You had a chance to see it multiple times. You had game film on it and even prepared for it or should have been prepared for it. Teams still struggled against it. So it'll be really interesting to see. I think that's my point, though. Like, I think those teams actually were prepared for it. And then you just, when you're not used to seeing it regularly, it still catches you off guard. It doesn't matter how much film work you do and how much studying you do until you play against it. You don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And moving into our top 10 at number 10, we've got the Hangzhou Spark, a team that rose to popularity and promptly fizzled out into nothingness. Probably should have ended up in the stage one playoffs. They really underachieved later in the stage. That roster is still very flexible. I think when you bring the DPS back, that roster will begin to shine a little more. In at number nine, we've got the Seoul Dynasty. A playoff stage one playoff appearance. A stage one playoff upset. Major upset. Major upset. And uh, we've got them at nine. I've got them at seven. You've got them at ten. They made the playoffs, and then they knocked down somebody like New York Excelsior. And you want to put them up pretty high. But then at the same time, you turn around and look at their game, their subsequent game, and they get demolished. Not even close. They weren't even in the game from the start. So then you kind of have to think, okay, did they basically play their – did they play all their cards on New York Excel? Like, was that the best game that they're going to play? Is that one against New York Excel's here? I think their tank lineup is is in communication with the tank lineup and how Fisher plays. Fisher is very much kind of a bumper player, and I don't know that Soul was ready for that. Their last year, last year Soul's main tanks weren't nearly as aggressive as Fisher is currently playing, so it's taken some time to adjust for that roster. And we're gonna find out in stage two uh, where I think some aggressive tank play is gonna be rewarded if a team that can has now found their communication and everything else with him if they're going to be able to gel and, and pull off a pretty good run. So this for me was more of a reward for finishing in the playoffs, getting a win in the playoffs over what I believe to be the best team in the league at the time. And then at the same rate saying, if we bring some DPS back, this roster may be in to shine again a little more. You still have Fleta, you still have Munchkin. So bring the DPS back, those guys might be able to shine the way they're, they used to shine. In at number eight... We've got the Toronto Defiant. Jay Will's got him at seven. I've got him at ten. Pure reward for finishing in the playoffs for me. I still like the roster as a six-man group. I don't think they have any true stars. Again, this is a collection of players that works to better together as a unit. You're not going to get, to me, much MVP talk about any of them. But as a group, they're still pretty good when they're working together and all on the same page. I think they benefited heavily from a stage one schedule that played into their hands. And while I do think that their that core there, NV, Ivy, and Neko, certainly started to play much better towards the end of stage one and kind of looked like they had leveled up, it'll be interesting to see how their DPS plays into this. I feel like they kind of got exposed in the playoffs as an average team, a middling team, that, again, benefited from that scheduling. So I've got them at 10, and we will see if they can prove me wrong. Which brings us to number seven, which is the Dallas Fuel. I still like their roster. I still think they're good. I felt bad that they finished outside of the playoffs. Boston had an incredible reverse sweep on them, essentially, to knock them out. Obviously, a lot of other things had to go the wrong way for them to completely fall out. But I still like the roster. I still like like Zach. I still like AKM, OGE. 
for crying out loud, Unko, I still I still like their collection of talent. And I think even with a meta change, I think they'll still be okay. And I think they'll actually be really good, don't get me wrong, but um, I don't think a meta change is going to affect them too much. Who's their sniper? Uh, AKM or Zach. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, you know, just thinking about if we are going to go towards towards a, a meta that has some sniping in it, I don't know if they have a, a strong one. I think you're I think you're underestimating both AKM and Zach personally. Maybe, maybe, but I've always, I mean AKM I've seen play a lot of not sniping players. So Soldier seventy six and Zarya has been his predominant play for that I've seen, um, and I've never seen Zach play Widow or or Hanzo before. So it'd be interesting to see how he plays into it. Well, don't sleep on uh, AKM's Widow. He brought it out in stage one. I can't remember who against and popped off just to give Dallas a first point on King's Row. I can tell you the map. I can't tell you who they were playing though. Well, that'll take us into our consensus number six, which is the London Spitfire. Probably surprising to see them up here, considering they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. But it's still one of those, if the meta is changing, if you're going to see more DPS more regularly, even if 3-3 is still a thing. London did get better in their 3-3, albeit not great. Mm. But if you're going to bring the DPS back, they still have some of the better DPS on their roster. You're still talking Bird Ring Profit, so... What do you want me to tell you? The London Spitfire, out of necessity, shifted who they were kind of built around over to Profit and Gesture and away from Bird Ring. And so I think bringing Bird Ring back in on his on the role that you know I think he was intended to play, uh, a DPS, a flexible DPS hero pool, that I think that's going to kind of return London to the team that we knew a little bit from Season 1. Again, I mean, this is all... I mean. 3-3 is not dead, right? I mean, it, no, it'll no, no, be no. a composition. It will still exist. It's just been brought down maybe back to the level of other compositions. So it's it's not this unbeatable kind of shield wall of, of HP and, and diva bombs. And so now there are opportunities, I think, to see DPS players play. And, I, you know, Bird Ring is, is one of the better. And I think the London that was built around Bird Ring's success was obviously a much more successful London than one that was built around Profit and Gesture as a tanking core. And then we've got what I believe to be our big surprise. I thought I was going to surprise Jay Will with this one. I thought, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put him into a meteoric rise. And I'm going to catch him off guard. But he had the same thoughts I did, and that is bringing the Los Angeles Gladiators up to our consensus number five. I've got them at four, mostly because I don't like the Philadelphia Fusion. Hater. <laughs> Hater. You've got them at five. I, I, I think we saw an incredible imp- – once Decay got into that lineup, we saw an incredible shift in Los Angeles Gladiators' playing capabilities. They looked absolutely dominant against some good opponents on the way out of stage one. It wasn't enough to pull them into the playoffs, so we didn't really get to see a whole lot more. So this will be a complete reset on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now with Decay in the lineup, and you still have Surefire and Hydration and these other flexible guys that we know can play vicious. I mean, that Widowmaker is strong. Hydration is a great projectile. DPS here, you know, Farah. Uh, you know, it, if we think Junkrat's going to be making a big difference, I mean, that's another projectile hero. So I just, I, I really felt like in terms of overall roster build that they have this, and now with Decay in there, who's playing at an otherworldly level, 
I think we could see a much stronger Los Angeles Gladiators make that jump that we kind of thought they would make, but kind of fell on their face in stage one. Yes, their 3-3 improved drastically, and it all changed when Decay got put into the lineup. So this is a little bit of we're giving you credit for how you closed out stage one, especially with Decay being there, knowing that potentially the meta will change to other things, but at the same rate, knowing that 3-3 is not necessarily going away completely and how good you looked in it late in the stage one, you kind of jumped a lot of those teams. Like like we talked earlier, when I look at this team and I say, are you going to beat this team? Should you beat this team? Will you beat this team? My answer kept coming up with yes. That's how they jumped up as high as they did, as quickly as they did, considering they finished three and four. Like we said, though, how, what was their map differential? Minus one through stage one. So it's not as bad as you may think. Right. You know, you lost, yes, and that hurts, but your map differential at minus one means you weren't getting slaughtered. Right. And they had, I mean, just really dominant wins at the end, too. I mean, it's 4 0. Yeah, they brought all that back. I mean, they just look so good. Yeah. And I think they'll be fine with some different compositions. They, they, just have, have, they the have the they flexibility. That's what I'm yeah. looking at. I mean, when you look at the roster and you go, oh, can they play a Junkrat? Yeah, they can absolutely play a Junkrat. Oh, if Widowmaker is strong, can they play Widowmaker? Yeah, absolutely, they can play Widowmaker. And now they have this other tank in there, Zarya tank. You know, they can go back to 3-3 if that's what they need to do. I just look at the flexibility and I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, these guys have that capability to run whatever is popular, whatever fits the maps that they're on and the teams that they're up against. The only question I'll have with that is... If you need to change composition mid-map, how do you handle that? Especially right, yeah. If you put Scherfer in, you're not running Zarya. I mean, like, I, you know, at that point, you just have to rely on coaching and say, you know, look, we would love to run 4-1-1 on this map, you know, second point or something like, or, or you know, on, on the, the defense versus the offense. But you just have to, you know, call your shots and say, we're not going to be, you know, the lineup is going to be this, and this is what we're going to have to play for those maps against these teams. Right. <sighs> This is such a bummer. Hater. <laughs> At consensus number four, we've got the Philadelphia Fusion. It's simple, dude. It's really simple. They were a top four or five team for both of us all through stage one. What did they finish in the playoffs? Busted. They finished fourth. Okay. No, busted. They finished they finished fourth. They got beat by a better San Francisco. A broken team. husk of a team. <laughs> They got beat by San Francisco. There's they got they got murdered by them. Really, there's no denying that. Like, you can't you can't mask how they looked against that. But again, this is who they are. They know how to play into it. They still have an MVP caliber talent. They have one of the better DP uh, Diva players in the league. They have flexibility throughout the roster. I mean, it's just a matter of looking at it compared to everybody else. And again. They were already a top four team, so what's the justification for moving them backwards because they got beat by a better team? I have a couple of justifications. Go for I it. I will retort. All right, number one, I really, truly do feel like they got genuinely exposed in in that matchup against the San Francisco Shock. I just I don't think they were that clean of a team, which leads me to number two, which is I think they benefited heavily from their scheduling in stage one. And if you look at their schedule in stage two, they're going to see the New York Excelsior twice, and they're going to see San Francisco as well. It'll be a rematch to actually to close out the stage in week five. So they only really have two fillers in there. One is the Florida Mayhem, which will be a rematch of a match that they actually lost in stage one. So I don't see how you can just continue to be like, oh, they're so amazing when they lost to the Florida Mayhem. 
No boombox. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they actually have a matchup against the Houston Outlaws, which will be kind of, it'll be interesting to see, you know, because we'll get a better chance to learn which Houston Outlaws we're going to see in this stage. So I, I think that this schedule, as much as maybe their, their stage one uh, schedule favored them, I think in this stage, they're going up against teams that are going to expose their weaknesses pretty, pretty effectively. If everything holds true, you're already looking at three losses. And then you just, and then you have to beat Florida Mayhem and and Houston Outlaws to really get into into that three four territory. So I I don't know. I just I don't like it. Which team gives New York the most problems? Uh, I mean, you keep saying Philadelphia Fusion, but that was a season one issue. <laughs> so pretty, I, pretty you know, they haven't played rosters. yet. So it's pretty much the same rosters. They haven't really changed much. Just the meta changed. They just forever reason give New York fits. I mean, I'm just saying, like those matchups, I still would assume New York would win, but. Don't expect those to be four O's. I expect and those to be four O's. I certainly don't. <laughs> I'd expect the rematch with San Francisco to be closer to four O than those two with New York. And that's not to say that it will be a four O because if they're able to play different compositions, you're going to get to see Carpe do a few more things as a, you know, get on my back MVP player. <laughs> so look, it, they are who they are. They, didn't necessarily get exposed. We already knew what they were. They were just comfortable doing it. San Francisco just did a masterful job of game planning to take them out. So they you would, would say that they exposed their weaknesses? No, I wouldn't say they exposed so, their weaknesses. So you'd say that they got exposed? No, I would not say they got exposed. They so you're saying they a are. team studied the film, looked at their weaknesses, and then and then just left those weaknesses on a shelf and said, we're not going to bring those to light? They actually didn't attack their weakness. They attacked their strength. No, they, I'm pretty sure that they looked at it and said, we can't win a fight with it. They can't win a fight without EQO. Checkbox. Weakness. And then they attacked it and exposed it. That's not a weakness. They said, hey, we have to take out EQO in order to win a fight. That's absolutely a weakness. Kind of, How could you say that's not a weakness? Not Hold a weakness. on. How could you say if a team cannot possibly win a fight without this person alive, that, that is, that's a strength? Because he is a strong player. You're, t- you're saying we have to take off the head of the snake at that point. We're not taking off the tail. We're not picking off the worst player on your roster, and then you guys just crumble after that. But that. So individually, yes, he's a strong player, but a weakness of the Philadelphia Fusion is their reliance on EQO. It's a game plan against their strength, dude. I, I can't. I don't know how you're not understanding the concept behind that on the other end. It's, you're taking away. So a it's like you can't. That's like me looking at a player in basketball and saying, "I'm going to take away your right hand and force you to your left hand." I'm forcing you to your weaker hand, but I'm taking away your strength. Which is, in a way, exposing weakness, your inability to shoot with your left hand. No, that's a dribbling. Nobody, nobody, nobody shoots saying, with the wrong team, hand. <laughs> I, yes, I will, con- I will con- agree with you that EQO is a strength for the Philadelphia Fusion. But that is as an individual, his individual ability as a player is, is a strength amongst himself. But a weakness of the Philadelphia Fusion was obviously that they relied on EQO too much. And I, if he's not present, they, had not, they did not have the capability to win a fight. I don't see how you can't. I, that's an Achilles. It's literally an Achilles heel, which is the definition of a weakness. If I put an arrow through your Achilles heel and you can't do anything anymore, that's a weakness. And they put an arrow through Philadelphia Fusion's Achilles heel and exposed the weakness. If you want to go with it like that, I'll let you go with it like that. I mean, to me, that's taking away a team's strength and forcing them to do something else. They don't have any other tricks up their sleeve at that rate, if that's what you're going to call it. We're saying the same thing in circles, so it doesn't really matter, but I thought it was fun <laughs> to get into it for a bit. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I thought this game planned spectacularly sure. against Philadelphia. That really is what it came down to, and Philly had no answer for it. 
I, I mean, I understand they have a reliance on EQO, especially for shot calling and, you know, being alive basically. But if, if you're prepared, you have other options and they don't at the moment for whatever reason, I don't, I don't quite I'm just understand saying The number it. four team in a league should be able to take some maps even against, you know, number one. And they could, they couldn't barely even take a point, let alone a map. Playoff atmosphere? I don't know, man. I'm just saying <laughs> they're still they're still the fourth best team in this league to me. I, I still look at them and I go, they'd beat them, they'd beat them until proven otherwise. They'd beat them. I mean, fair enough. That is true. Enough about the Philadelphia Fusion. I don't like them, so I want to stop talking about them. Hater. And we get to move on to a team that is really exciting to me. Not a hater. <laughs> at number three, the San Francisco Shock. This team is fun, man. Aren't they? I mean, what, first of all, I mean, what an absolute blast of a finals match for the stage one playoff finals. If you haven't already seen that, please go watch it. Even if you hate 3-3 to the maximum, it will still make you a believer in that match. It's still really exciting, despite the composition. (laughs) Yes. This is another team similar to the Los Angeles Gladiators, in my opinion, that you have to look at the roster as a whole and say, okay, if this changes, if we are running bunker comps, if we are run, looking at four one ones more often than necessarily just three three, which they showed that they can play three three to a surgical level, and they were beating in some cases the Vancouver Titans, who we considered the pinnacle of three three play. So that that's already good. That's in their toolbox. But they also have a a dearth of DPS or flexible players on their roster right now, and. To me, that you know, that means okay. When we get out of just three three, these guys are still going to be okay. They're going to be able to flex into it, and they're going to be successful. And I, again, built around you know, Super and Sinatra played the long game, and it, it's really just absolutely panning out for them. They're just so much fun. They're entertaining. Yeah, they had some rough matches. I think that did them well, though. I think that prepared them for the playoffs. Honestly, I think they yeah. learned some things about themselves, about ways to combat certain strategies ways that they were like eh we can probably do this better i mean you think back they were again a diva bomb away from taking vancouver to game five during regular stage play so right what we saw in the finals wasn't surprising to me at all this team is just they're good right now they're really good that youth is paying off i don't know how other teams are going to fare with any sort of composition changes i really don't i just don't see it harming san francisco And for me, the biggest improvement you can make at San Francisco is how do you close out a match, right? We said that for a lot of their matches was, oh, they were just a diva bomb away, or they were just this one play away. They were just that one play away. So clean clean it up, you know? (laughs) In other sports, we call that learning how to win. And that's actually a very important thing for young players. You have to learn how to win. Teams aren't just going to go away, die, and leave you to take take a game from them Mm -hmm. in any sport. So you have to learn how to close out stuff like that. That that actual little ability is something that is learned over time, and hopefully they learn it very, very quickly. And I think to, to, to nobody's, nobody's surprise here, we have our consensus one and two. I'm just going to give them to you. It's the Vancouver Titans, and it's the New York Excelsior. We have them both completely flip-flopped in our own rankings, so the, the consensus one and two is kind of arbitrary. <laughs> um but I think in a little bit of a surprise, I have the Vancouver Titans at two, and uh, ooh ooh one. But is one, it fifty cents? One, Hold on, one. is it fifty cents? I give you fifty. Is it fifty cents? Because I like I give, caught I give it. You 50. Like as the words were leaving my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I give you that one. <laughs> so I have the the Titans at two and New York at one and Bron- uh, Dang, yeah, right, now, there's now the you're dollar. There's the, dollar. <laughs> <laughs> there's the full dollar. 
Jay Will has them as Vancouver at one and Excel at two. I'm gonna dive into my my reasoning behind this a little bit. And again, it just ha- I think this one has not much else to do other than the fact that I just haven't seen the Titans play anything else. <laughs> that's that's all it comes. In. I have seen the Excelsior play compositions that are not three three. I know for a fact that the DPS that is just sitting there itching to play, say Biobi Pine, are just absolute monsters at whatever you put them on. I mean, Pine's Widowmaker, you know, makes believers. So, I, you know, for me, this this probably really doesn't have a whole lot to do with. This has more to do with. I have a historical frame of reference for the New York Excelsior, and I don't for Vancouver. So for Vancouver, there could be great DPS on that squad. There could be amazing DPS talent on that bench. And there's already articles coming about, about, hey, look out for Stitch. Look out for Haxel. Look out for some of those guys. But I just don't have a frame of reference for that. And we saw Vancouver get pushed out of that comfort zone, their 3-3 comfort zone. And they were not able to swap into something that would actually defeat it. Now they were still trying to hang on to the 3-3. So if they're willing in this stage to ditch the 3-3 and attack a different composition, that may completely adjust how, you know, their their lineups. I mean, maybe the, like the Stitch and some of those guys come in. I want to stop rambling, but that's why I, I actually bumped Vancouver down to two and put New York at one. Okay, my explanation is going to be a lot shorter, everyone. I just want to be clear about this. <laughs> You finish the stage 7-0, and you win the playoffs, you're the stage 1 champions, you go down as number 1, period. That's it for me. That's that's the end of the sentence. <laughs> if San Francisco had won stage 1, guess where I'd have them? That's just how it works. So until somebody comes and knocks you off, you sit at the top of the perch. Uh, you're completely right, though. New York's DPS is just sitting, waiting around. So if they get to play in stage 2, look out, everybody. And you're right, we haven't seen what Vancouver can do outside of 3-3, and we know New York can do stuff other than 3-3. They're just waiting around to do it. Yeah, I mean, and that's for me personally, that's that's the only difference maker. Like, I think they're both ex- obscenely talented teams. I, I don't think Vancouver is weak by, you know, I, I mean, they're just at two. So it's not like I've put them down <laughs> at the bottom or anything, you know. It's just, I again, I have a frame of reference for what New York can do when they're not ne- not just sitting in 3-3. And I don't really have that frame of reference. It should be helpful. I probably need to go back and watch some runaway stuff but even even the last year of runaways matches was all 3-3 as well so it's you'd have to go back you know two years into contenders league to even look at it and even then the runway roster was different then so you can see some individual play here and there but it's hard to get that frame of reference for what a vancouver what a non-3-3 vancouver titans looks like champs that's it (laughs) undefeated stage one champions yeah no i loved it and I'm i'm a big vancouver fan so we'll we'll see boomper which brings this episode to a close. Running back our top 10, we've got the Hangzhou Spark at 10, the Seoul Dynasty at 9, Toronto Defiant at 8, Dallas Fuel at 7, the London Spitfire at 6, the Los Angeles Gladiators making a meteoric rise into number 5, the Philadelphia Fusion number 4, boo. Carpe for MVP. <laughs> we've got the San Francisco Shock at 3, we've got the New York Excelsior at number 2, and we've got the Vancouver Titans at number 1. I feel good about it, man. I'm excited to see what actually happens this week. I do as well. I do as well. I didn't tank the Hangzhou Spark just because they're wearing pink. I feel better about this. You should feel better about that. But we'll probably <laughs> have to tank them after they lose a game. You should subscribe to our podcast. You can search Let's Break It Down on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Or you can follow. We tweet the link out pretty frequently. 
If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at BreakItDownOWL. That's also our Facebook and Instagram handle. You can follow Brian directly on Twitter at JWill2287. You should send emails to us, BreakItDownOWL at gmail.com. Let us know you're following us. Give us a hello. Introduce yourselves. We'll shout you out. And with that, JWill, we've got stage two to watch. Heck yeah, let the matches begin again. Let's get into some regular play. Get ready for some long, sleepless nights during the week, everybody. But it'll be worth it. Check back in with us before week two, and we're going to break it down.